What's up, Buffalonians? It's your boy, Nick English. If you want the facts, the stats, and all the sports info in the 716, you have come to the right place. This is English Encore, Buffalo's favorite sports channel. I'm your host, Nick English. Greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in for today's episode. It's going to be a good one. I'm going to be joined by Emily McKibben and Alyssa Freeman, both of my coworkers that I started working with at IMG four months ago. Both of them have really great backgrounds um, working in sports. And I really want to just have this you know, episode following International Women's Day. I think it's a good opportunity to talk about women in sports. That's something, a subject that I don't think gets talked about nearly enough. Um, it's nice to see that our women, you know, getting larger roles um, in major sports. So we're going to talk to them a little bit about some of the preconceived notions about women working in sports, some of the, you know, maybe adversity they've had to face getting to work the WNBA down here. They're going to talk a little bit about their background. Emily had the chance to work with the Phoenix Suns. Alyssa got to volunteer for the Super Bowl this year. So it's going to be a really great conversation. And we're going to end the show doing a top five um, women influencers draft. Um, whether it's a coach, player, a team, um, it's going to be a really great show. Um, so if you don't follow me on Instagram already, please give me a follow at English Encore Podcast. Um, post some really great content there, some more great content coming later this week. So without further ado, here's Alyssa and Emily. I am now pleased to be joined on the English Encore Podcast by two of my great coworkers, Emily McKibben and Alyssa Freeman. We're going to do a women and sports episode so Emily and Alyssa, thank you guys for both coming on. Um, I mentioned a little bit in my intro, Emily, you had a little bit of background working with the Phoenix Suns, Grand Canyon University, Drake University, Alyssa, YMCA, got to volunteer for the Super Bowl this year, and Florida Gulf Coast. Um, whichever one you want to start, can you guys just give me and the listeners a little bit of background on both of your, you know, working so far in the sporting industry? Yeah, for sure. I can start. Um, again, my name is Emily McKibben from Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I started in the sport industry in high school as a senior. Um, I took concor- concurrent cl- courses through the uh, community college and was able to take a career development course um, where we needed to go out in the community and, and find an internship. And that's where I started with Drake University, um, particularly in their facilities and operations department, working with a men's and women's basketball team. Um, and then quickly thereafter, I have a passion for track and field and the Drake Relays is huge in the Des Moines area and the Midwest and all over the country is actually known. Um, so I, I assisted with coordinating the elementary, middle school and high school uh, events there with the Drake Relays as well as competing um, both my junior and senior year. Um, so that's kind of where everything began for me in collegiate athletics and thereafter uh, upon graduation. I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona, attended Grand Canyon University, where I studied sports management within the Colangelo College of Business. Um, and I assisted with uh, facilities and operations again with their athletics department, particularly with uh, women's volleyball, men's and women's soccer, and men's and women's basketball, softball, and baseball as well. Um, so a wide variety there in collegiate uh, athletics. I also was uh, grateful enough to uh, accept an internship with the Phoenix Suns my final semester as a uh, senior in college with the Global Partnership Solution. So marketing partnerships, sponsorship opportunities, contra- lots of contractual work, um, as well as hospitality and such throughout the season. Um, so a lot of different experiences, but all within the sport industry. And now I am uh, with IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida as an events coordinator. 
Yeah, so a um, little bit of a different background than Emily. Um, like Nick mentioned, my name is Alyssa Freeman. Uh, I'm originally from Venice, Florida, so not too far off here, kind of stayed in the area. Um, sports has just continuously been in my life since I was young. Uh, growing up, hockey was one of my favorite sports. My dad, you know, always had us at games growing up and he played in the men's league. So we were always around. So I knew at a young age that, that sports was something that I wanted to get into as a career. Um, gymnastics was the sport that I had lived and breathed my entire life since I was three. Uh, I was a competitive gymnast up until the age of 16 and then transitioned over uh, as a competitive coach uh, once I turned or quit gymnastics and did that for about seven years uh, throughout college and, and kind of beyond. I uh, went to school as well for sports management. It was a little bit different at Florida Gulf Coast. We had to do a full business management degree as well as tag on some sports classes. Um, was not required of us to have an internship, so never really had that type of experience in college, but continuously stayed in the gym. I think, um, you know, during college, I was trying to really nail down what I wanted to do and if I wanted to stay with gymnastics or venture outside. So, kind of just honed into what I knew and stayed coaching and, and, you know, running the front desks of local gyms around the area. And during the summers would return home to the Y, which is where I grew up and spent many years at. Um, and once I graduated college, I actually started a full-time position at the Y as one of the gymnastics operations coordinators, kind of created the position uh, for myself. Um, a full-time role and was just kind of the director's right-hand uh, woman, if you want to say that. Um, while I was doing that, I started on the part-time staff here at IMG, uh, just assisting where any needs were, uh, not only in the events department, as well as marketing and the admin side of things too. I uh, did that for about a year and then started full-time in 2017 as an event or a team training coordinator um, and now here in 2021 as one of the assistant event managers in our department. Yeah, both definitely have unique backgrounds. I mean, just in my few short months there, I've learned a lot from both of you. Um, so the sporting industry is very interesting in that there are so many different job opportunities, whether it's marketing, social media, um, you know, working with the teams, the operations sides, which you guys are kind of a part of now. Um, I think over the past few years, it started to get a little bit better and a more trending that you've seen more women getting involved in, whether it's at the collegiate or at the professional level in different parts of the industry, which it really hadn't been a lot before that. Um, I'm curious for you both, um, whether it's working in a predominantly male dominated sport or just sports in general, were there any major challenges that you both had to face um, going into sports? So I feel like sports is generally you know, looked at as a lot of guys and males work in that, which I think is a completely false narrative because I think girls do an excellent job um, working a variety of jobs, whether um, be announcing event coordinators like yourselves um, and you guys got to work the WNBA, which we'll touch on in a little bit, but do either of you have any, you know, trouble getting into the industry or anything that you had to face that was challenging, um, whether it was be working in a male dominated sport or just anything in that nature? I would say particularly, I didn't face any true challenges getting into the industry. Um, for me, it's just all about putting yourself out there, making those connections. Networking was a big, um, a big thing for me in college, particularly, um, and just being able to do whatever's asked of you um, is something that's that's huge in the the operations portion of the industry, particularly. 
Um, but now being in the industry, I foresee a challenge for myself is just um, some folks, males particularly, just don't see women as uh, capable um, of doing the job. Particularly, I, I see that in the facilities and operations side of sports again. Um, so that's just one thing that I, I have had challenges with just being um, on the operations side now. Um, but hopefully that seems to change as, as I gain more experience, um, but I've never been not capable. Yeah, I would say Emily and I, we, we touched on this a little bit, kind of preparing for the podcast. I don't think there was any, any difficulty for us getting to the, you know, into the positions that we're in. I think it's just maintaining that trend and, and constantly evolving more or less and making sure that happens. I mean, I started two years ago as just an entry-level team training coordinator. And two years later, you know, I've been lucky enough to be put in the position I am as one of the three event uh, manager or assistant event managers in our department. So I think it's just continuing the trend, not necessarily getting your foot in the door, but then growing from there, I think might be more of a challenge just because as Emily stated, yeah, there, there are some individuals that you do, you know, encounter in your time that definitely doubt your abilities. Um, and doubt your knowledge more or less, I think is what it really comes down to. Yeah. And I think it's not great. I mean, being a guy, um, I definitely have seen um, guys, whether it's past positions I worked at or in college that when we had event managers that were women, sometimes they didn't take them as serious or didn't think they were capable, which I think is a very not great narrative to have considering there are so many great women in the world working a lot of great jobs in the sport industry and do a phenomenal job, even better than many men can do. Um, so with COVID happening, obviously you guys had a great opportunity with the WNBA coming down um, pretty much right next to IMG and them staying at the facilities and, you know, working out there and, you know, competing just down the road. Um, what was it like working for the WNBA in such weird, you know, circumstances that maybe in other years you probably would have neither have had maybe this opportunity to, um, even be a part of. Yeah, I can kind of start on this one. I think Emily and I both had kind of extreme situations. Um, I was actually out on furlough uh, for three months leading up to the WNBA. I came back uh, full-time two days before all the, all the teams showed up and it was kind of hit the ground running. Uh, whereas Emily, we were actually interviewing her and she came in kind of after the, the WNBA had started. So I think we both kind of had different experiences with it just because we were just thrown into the madness. Um, for my side, I was able to be a, a team liaison for two of the teams, uh, New York Liberty and the Minnesota Lynx, as you can see their stickers behind me, um, were my two uh, designated teams that I had to more or less take care of while they were on site, any asks that they had or directions they needed, uh, questions answered, I was their go-to. Um, and then we also served as operations um, help over at Feld where the games were held um, with flipping games and just making sure team benches uh, constantly followed COVID protocol and uh, you know swapping out towels, swapping out Gatorade, cleaning, sanitizing X, Y, and Z. I mean, the list goes on. Um, I think it was a, a shock for everybody that was involved. No one had even, you know, gone down this road yet of the bubble format. 
And we were kind of doing it conjunctively with the MLS and with the NBA as well that was going on in Orlando. So I think it was a lot of learning that was happening all at the same time. And luckily, obviously, the WNBA and the NBA work so closely together. And they were constantly in communication with Orlando and folk at that bubble situation and what worked there and what was working here. Um, so it was just, honestly, I think every day there was something new that we had to follow and implement and relate to the teams and all of that. So it was just keeping up with the trends and really just going into it head first with so many unforeseen circumstances. Yeah, I definitely second that. Um, I came in just as the uh, regular season was concluding and assisted with uh, game ops and all the COVID protocols there at Feld um, on game day. And for me, it was just, you hit the ground running and I was just to do whatever was asked of me. And, and that was essentially my role. Um, and that's kind of where I began with IMG Academy and just starting there. Um, I felt like I, I started at the top, um, just knowing that my role was to do whatever, whatever was asked of me. And that's what I've continued to do. And that's what I will continue to do. Um, and that's something that's going to help me uh, improve and, and evolve as I continue down uh, the career in, in sports. Yeah, I would say just to kind of give like a background of what our day to day looked like, I think, again, Emily's and mine were a little bit different, but also pretty much in the same um, during a regular workday nine to five, we were, you know, on call or in the office with the teams here because they were practicing on site and eating their meals and, um, you know, making sure they knew what points they needed to get to or where to go to get what and all that. And then um, we quickly had to, to switch gears to uh, late night uh, working. So we would kind of check into Feld at about six o'clock at night and we'd be there until two o'clock in the morning. Um, Emily had that heavily on her schedule, whereas uh, it was not as much on my schedule. It definitely got to be a part of it, which was cool to see and be around the games and courtside and all of that. Uh, but Emily definitely had that, uh, those shifts loaded on her schedule for sure. Um, so again, as she keeps saying, just do what you were asked. It's, it's really all it was, is just get the job done. This was one of, in my time, one of the largest, if not the largest group that's ever come through IMG. Um, and to say that we successfully completed it is, is cool to, to say and say that we were a part of it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And staying on the topic of WNBA, obviously you guys got to see, you know, all the women at the forefront getting to see the games, how talented they are. I mean, I per, I mean, I'm a huge basketball fan in general. I like watching WNBA when I can, NBA, college basketball, whatever it is. Um, I enjoy watching it, whether it's Della Don, Diggins, um, Sabrina Nescu now. Um, you know, the big thing with WNBA and NBA is there's such a difference in both viewership and the earnings of the players, which I think is personally a little bit unfair. I know that the NBA definitely generates a lot more revenue just based on the amount of teams and the players, you know, and just the magnitude um, that they were brought. I mean, LeBron James has been, been followed since he was in high school compared to some of these other women in WMA that maybe haven't had that same limelight. I mean, 2019-20, the average player in WNBA gets $80,000. NBA is $7.4 million. Um, so to see like such a difference like that, do you guys think there's any way in the future that the WNBA can find a way to get um, their players more money? Or is there a way that they can kind of 
get the WNBA in a bigger limelight to kind of get closer to the NBA or is the NBA just kind of just so far ahead of them that they won't ever catch up? I would say um, particularly the most important action in history of the WNBA is still yet to come uh, due to the collective bargaining agreement. I know that they waited this past season until the end of 2021 to kind of reevaluate. So once that comes, I think that there may be more of a comparison, um, but I don't think to this day that there, there will be a direct comparison um, of wages particularly. Uh, viewership is something that when I was with the uh, Phoenix Suns was always kind of talked about in the office of obviously the seasons are flipped, but what if, what if we played back-to-back games where the Mercury played first and then the Suns played after and, you know, your, your fans just in the, in the arena would stay, you know, um, or, or come earlier and watch both games. Um, so that's something that, that was always talked about in the office, but um, obviously starts from the top and works its way down um, with the league. So yeah, that's an interesting concept. I don't think that had even ever been kind of brought to the table, but I think that could provide a lot of potential for the WNBA. Um, I think like you said, Nick, I think the NBA is just so far ahead of the WNBA that I, I do believe the WNBA will constantly live in its shadow, um, unfortunately. Um, but I, I do think there's, you know, many things that can be done. Uh, one of those, you know, like the, the Suns had maybe brought up uh, behind the scenes is definitely something that could be put on the table as a potential to just increase viewership if that's really what it comes down to is just how many viewers are, are watching each other. Um, obviously I think the talent is another thing. I think, you know, obviously LeBron has been, you know, one of the, the biggest names in the NBA since, you know, even before he was in the NBA. And I think it's just hard to maybe come by in the WNBA. Yes. There's the Sabrina INSQs. There's, um, oh, what's her name? Sue Bird. There's, you know, all of those names as well. Um, I think, go ahead. <laughs> I said Diana Taurasi, the big names that you always hear. Correct. Yeah. And I think, you know, they stay in the WNBA for a long time, but the amount of talent is, is probably less than the WNBA from, I guess, just my perspective. I don't follow basketball as much as I probably should. <laughs> yeah. And I think that NBA is so far ahead. I just think if WNBA, as you mentioned, Emily, if they can find a way to, if, to get fans in before an NBA game, if they are lucky enough to have, because a lot of NBA teams don't have, you know, a WNBA team in the same city. Mm -hmm. um, I think also getting more, I think just making the WNBA more marketable. I think sometimes the NBA does a really good job of promoting their star players. Not that the NBA or WNBA doesn't, but I don't see it nearly as much on the ESPNs or just even during NBA games um, in general. And it's just crazy when I was looking at numbers earlier and seeing, you know, the highest paid player in the NBA, Steph Curry's making 43 million dollars and then you look at there's i think five players you know tied at the top whether it's bird uh skylar diggins they're only making two hundred twenty one thousand four hundred fifty dollars in a year so i don't know if they're ever going to catch it but i would like to see that gap at least close a lot more because i do think regardless of you know obviously the talent is different and it's a little bit different um of a game you know it's still the same sport but i would like to see that um a lot closer just because i think they're still value in the women's game that are more than a lot of people um, see personally. Um, and then kind of transitioning into another um, popular 
topic that's kind of been happening over the past few years is with the United States women's soccer team. Um, you know, 2019, they even went to court for this, saying that they deserve to have, you know, the same wages as the men's players. The women have been clearly way more of a dominant and successful team than the men's team has, you know, historically pretty much dating all the way back to when they started. It really hasn't been that close. And then 2020, the judge dismissed the case. It still seems like there's still some stuff going on there. Um, I'm curious to get both of your opinions. I know I was able to work um, men's national team with you guys um, just a few or a month or so ago um, and seeing those players and whatnot. But what are your guys' general opinions on that whole story that came out? And how do you think it's ultimately going to be a result? Or what is your opinion on it in general? I would say to begin, I just think that the entirety of the situation is just absurd. Um, and similar to the, um, the WNBA and, and NBA situation, the longstanding gap between the two has always been there. Um, but it, it has also since kind of disappeared, particularly with the sport of soccer and, and just the revenue that's been generated from the women's team, uh, particularly with just their games and then their World Cup win. And, um, but with that, to play devil's advocate, when I was kind of looking into this topic, um, the revenue that was generated uh, from game revenue and such of the women is only a quarter of the federation's revenue, whereas sponsorship is nearly half. Um, so you kind of have to take into account and it's hard to determine how much the women's team had actually actually contributed to those sponsorship numbers. Um, that's kind of my thoughts on it. And still though, I, I think it's absurd. <laughs> yeah. No, I second that. I think it was definitely something that needed to be brought to light. I think just obviously base level looking at the wins that the women's team have brought in in comparison to the men's team are, are far more significant. Um, and then to still see the women, you know, be underpaid for for producing more wins just doesn't logically make any sense. Um, I know you noted in, in the questions that you sent us that the judge dismissed the case in 2020, which to me you know, you can argue the, the, the female view of it of, of just the judges just trying to silence the issue, um, which is unfortunate. And it's, it's something that you constantly see. You see it in, you know, the WNBA and their pay and just the commissions or the commissioner or whatever you want to say, the Players Association, just dismissing all of these things um, and, and solely just leaving it to, you know, viewership and all of that rather than the success of the team, which I think at should have some sort of way in. If you're producing more wins than, you know, any other U.S. team, why are we still getting underpaid? Yeah, and I think the reason I think it's more of a bigger topic is because it's not like at like WNBA and NBA are just like two completely, you know, separate things. Where like this is on a national level, it's not like it's mm -hmm. just like a team in like the MLS versus another team in the MLS as far as pay. Like it's men's versus you know, women nationally. And like we've all said, like the women have, you know, dominated as far as success for the men. Um, I was looking at some of the numbers and they were saying that if the men and women both played 20 friendly matches over the course of a year and they both won all 20, that the men would um, acquire 263,000 compared to only 99,000 for the woman. And just seeing like a number like that, even though it's only, you know, $100,000 in the grand scheme of sports probably isn't a huge margin, you know, in today's society, but, you know, it's still a big number. I just don't understand, you know, how that's like such a far thing in between, but 
Um, yeah. I think we're still going to, like you said, Alyssa, I think it's good that it was at least brought to the limelight and that there's news around it and not just kind of getting kicked under the um, carpet anymore, which is a great yeah. thing. And I think kind of tying back to the WNBA and, and kind of every movement that was brought to light in, in 2020, I think it's not going to be put to rest anytime soon. I know, you know, all these female players, they're going to continuously stand up for, for themselves and equal pay. And, and it's not going to be silenced anytime soon. Um, I think it's going to take longer than we might think, but I do think it will be brought to light soon. And, um, you know, again, going back to the, the women's national team, I think comparing the two, as we did the WNBA and the NBA, the, the talent is there. They play the same game and they clearly do it better <laughs> and produce more wins. So I, I definitely think U.S. soccer, the, the girls team has, you know, a little bit more behind them than the WNBA. Not saying that the WNBA doesn't deserve, you know, just as much, but I think the U.S. soccer definitely has a little bit more backing them. Yeah, and I also think that, you know, the men's team itself, I don't think the men's players in general are, like, unsupportive of the women. I think they're more, like, pushing against, like, just the general, like, people that are paying them and talking about the revenue. And as Emily mentioned, you know, the big thing with sponsorships is also just such a huge thing just because men's sports in general are viewed a lot higher, you know, as far as ratings and everything, though, than women's sports, which is unfortunate, but just the way things are right now. Um kind of transitioning a little bit, not necessarily WNBA, but NBA in general, something that I've advocated for on my podcast for literally like a year and a half now, every time an NBA coach gets fired, I've been like harping that Becky Hammond deserves to get a job. Um, I think she's just a great coach. I mean, she's the first female to have like a full-time assistant coach um, job in the NBA. She coached, you know, her first game when Popovich got ejected earlier in the year. So that was really cool to see. She's coached the G league before, um, so if Becky was to become, you know, the first woman to coach as a head coach in the W and or in the NBA, uh, what do you think that would personally do um, for just women in sports in general, whether it be at the professional or, you know, collegiate level? I think that this would change the game just like it did um, when Kim Ang became the GM of the Marlins back in November. I just, it's just a step in the right direction, I think. Uh, similarly to uh, the NFL and all the movement that they've made with their coaching staffs and, and their officials and such. It's, it's just one more step in the right direction and it's one more um, kind of push that women are capable and women are able to, to dominate in, in these roles that are particularly male dominated. Um, so for me, I just, I think it, it, it is a trend in the right direction. It, it would change the game, the NBA particularly, that is male-dominated, uh, very much so. Yeah, I wouldn't really have any more to add to that for sure. I think, you know, the term that we always hear is, is breaking the glass ceiling, and I think that, that these movements continuously do that. Um, I think putting a female in a, in a head coach role, whether it's for the NBA, whether it's for any sport, um, male dominated opens a lot of windows for a lot of other opportunities. I think right now uh, you see a lot of females behind the scenes and they're not really, you know, getting the credit for what they're doing, which is fine. I don't think we're, we're here to, you know, receive the credit, but um, bringing them to light and having them 
just kind of put on, I don't want to say put on the pedestal, but they kind of would be, and you kind of see that they are. I mean, Kim Summers with the 49ers, I believe that's her name. I wrote it down. Katie Sowers, not Kim Summers. Okay, great. was so close. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Katie Sowers, you know, she was, when the 49ers came here, it was just cool to see her on the field and the guys respected her. And there was, there wasn't anything different of a female being on the field versus all the male coaches. So, you know, it's happening and I think it's going to continue to happen. And if we continue putting females in a leadership role, uh, you're just going to see a lot of doors open for a lot of other people. And to add on to that, I mean, having them in the limelight as well um, in, in these larger roles are more for young girls to look up to and to want to get into the sport industry rather than seeing, you know, that there, there's only males on the bench or, uh, or on the coaching steps or on the operations side. Um, so it's just one more, one more way um, just to get young girls interested in sports and, and to grow the industry. Yeah. I think Becky, not just being like, it's not like she was there only for one season and then she was done. Like we've kind of seen um, some other women in like professional roles where they get one or two years and then a team will let them go. And it kind of gets put under the rug. I think if Hammond was to get that first WNBA or excuse me, NBA head coach job and all the, people across the world, not just at the professional level, at college level, see that NBA players respect women enough to listen to her and listen to all those things. I think it'd be a good trend in that it won't, it'll no longer be like, oh, Becky Hammond's the first to do this. It'll be like, no, now we have multiple women doing this. It won't just be like, this will be the first woman ever. It's going to be like, no, this is just another woman added to all these lists. It would Um, cause a large trickle effect. I would have to say like once you once you put one and they I don't even want to you know have to say they have to succeed but you just get people to rally around it and like you said have the the guys in the sport respect them of who they are it it's just going to trickle down to so even lower level positions just being more available to females and then again even the higher level positions being more available to females and then to cap off today's show we're going to do a draft top five you know, female women influencers can be a team, player, coach, whoever you want it to be. It's your list. doesn't have to be for anyone. We'll let the fans vote on it. Um, so Alyssa has kindly volunteered to go first. Emily, you'll be second. I'll be third. It's going to be a snake draft. So I get two picks in a row. Mm-hmm. Emily will yeah. be in the middle. And then Alyssa, you'll get back to back. So you're going to have to wait a few picks to get your second pick. But oh, Alyssa, you get no. to start it off. All right. So we're doing the top five most influential women in sports correct yeah yep and it can be coach player whatever whatever however you want to take it It doesn't have to be all right so first one I feel like it's an obvious one Serena Williams (laughs) that's my girl why is she first Alyssa I mean I just feel like she she's been around for a minute and she has continuously dominated I don't think she's ever let one situation uh you know take her down she I personally not off the top of my head can tell you how long she's been uh playing tennis professionally but it's been a while since I was you know a young child um and you know she's obviously gone through being pregnant and having a child and has bounced back and is still continuing to win uh the big titles or at least you know still be a a competitor yeah couldn't think of the word (laughs) 20 23 grand slams there we go see I don't know my facts you do she was also on my list, so you took one of mine. 
but <laughs> moving on. My, my top pick is maybe a shock, uh, but it's Maggie Nichols and all of the other gymnasts that came forward in the uh, USA Gymnastics with uh, all of that that went on. Um, to me, just one person stepping out and making, uh, making an announcement of what happened um, trickled down to everyone else. And obviously we've all seen now um, what's been going on, um, but I think that's something that was huge. Um, in the sport industry and was huge just for all all females um, in general. I also had that written down, so that's a, that's a good pick. So I get back to back. I'm going to go with another tennis player. I'm going to go with Billie Jean King. Um, her win versus Bobby Riggs in, like, the battle of the sexes, I think, was, like, a huge thing, not just for tennis, but just, like, women in general, that they could show they can compete just as well as, like, any guy. I mean, she was the first woman to – win over a hundred thousand dollars for tennis i mean she's kind of been she kind of her and you know margaret court and all those older type players um kind of you know set the stage for serena and like other players like venus now naomi osaka's kind of getting in there um but i think her you know being as bold as she was back in like that kind of era when it really wasn't a thing kind of like the john McEnroe side for the men um i think was huge and then my second one is going to be someone that kind of just popped onto the scene recently, but I'm going to go with Sarah Fuller, the kicker for Vanderbilt that yes. um, was the first woman to play in a power five conference football game as a kicker, obviously a great player on Vanderbilt soccer team as well. But um, I think it's really cool that she got to play in like an actual college, you know, football game and did very well at it. And hopefully, you know, maybe we'll see a trend here of other women getting shot in um, male sports that maybe, there isn't opportunities um, in other sports for them. My turn now? Yep. Okay. My second pick was uh, Kim Ang, and I know that I mentioned her previously, the GM of the Marlins. Um, just one thing that particularly stood out to me uh, was that obviously she's now in, uh, in an executive role and she's one to look up to. And she said, when I got into this business, it seemed unlikely that a woman would lead a major league team but I am dogged in my pursuit of my goals. And I just feel like that's something that I, being a female in the sport industry should now live by, um, that if she can do it, so can I. So she's second on my list. So you took one off of mine, so we're, we're even. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stay on the, the USA Gymnastics trend just because that's my background. Um, this was one that did not come forward, but if you do research a lot of her background, uh, her story is interesting as it relates to kind of all the, the sticky stuff related to the doctor. Um, Michaela Maroney, um, she's kind of after the, what was she in? She was in Beijing, right? Yeah, she, after Beijing, she kind of fell off, um, but her vault, if you guys remember that, um, her execution level was higher than, it, she did the same vault as a male that was competing in the Olympics. Um, and her execution level was higher than that male. Um, they did slow-mo kind of video of her executing the vault and him. And she was just sky high, higher than he, she, you know, stuck it perfectly. Unfortunately, was only scored a 9.5, not a 10. It was kind of like a, a huge ordeal during the Beijing Olympics that a female of, you know, her capacity, I think she's like 5'2", um, was able to execute this vault uh, 
significantly better than the male who did the same one. Um, so I'll say her. Um, and then sticking with, again, still gymnastics, um, Annie Heffernan, she's the VP, the new VP of the women's program. Um, I've actually gotten to meet her and sit down with her um, and just what she wants to do and just what these girls have gone through. Um, she wants to make sure that it, it's never going to happen again. And these girls are never put in a situation uh, that the past was. Um, she is, she's very honed in on that and is very aware that she needs that at her forefront and she's not afraid to project that into the public. So she's a, she's a very driven individual and I think was the, a good pick for that position. Next I have on my list, Danica Patrick. Um, that was my next pick. Thanks. <laughs> obviously in an extremely male dominated sport, but she's paved her way. Um, and that's just, again, one more, one more individual that young girls are able to look up to. Um, and she's a very, very well-known figure um, in the sport. So. All right. I got to adjust a little bit now. Um, no, I'm Googling. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with one of the greatest coaches of all time, uh, Pat Summit. Uh, I think she's just super influential on not just like women's basketball, but college basketball in general, both men and women's side. I mean, over a thousand plus wins, eight NCAA titles, like right up there with the Coach K's, the Roy Williams of the world. Um, you know, before UConn was seen as the most dominant team in women's basketball, like it was Tennessee and Pat Summit. Um, so I think she was super influential and then, oh man, um, I'm going to go with Caitlin Smith. She was the first, um, full-time female coach in the NFL, actually from the Buffalo bills. Um, so it's kind of a home pick for me. Uh, she was with the team in 2014, 15, but then 15, 16, she got updated to quality control coach. Um, so she was the first time full female um, coach in the NFL and kind of how let's talk about earlier we've kind of seen more women getting thrust into the NFL and major roles and um, yeah I think it was good I mean we saw Sarah Thomas come the first NFL uh, women referee to ref in the Super Bowl this past year so that was also really cool next I have on my list uh, Wilma Rudolph sticking with my passion for track and field she's an American sprinter um, and she was the first American woman to win three gold medals um, in a single Olympic Games, and not to mention she was African-American as well. So she became a huge role model for um, the Black and female community, particularly. Um, so one that, that I know track and field athletes will always look up to. Um, my turn. Do I have my final two picks? Easier your final two. Okay, I was just rapid fire Googling because I remembered somebody. But the first person I'm going to say is Erin Andrews. Um, I think, you know, she's, she's held her spot as one of the top female reporters. And I think you, we've seen such a trend of just more female reporters on every sports network you possibly can. But I think, you know, if she wasn't the first, she was one of the first to, to really hold strong for her position. And cover the NFL and I love the the, the bits she does with the one-on-ones um, for some of the guys before Sunday Night Football. Um, my second one and I'm gonna butcher her name because I just googled this and didn't have time to, to figure out how to say it. Um, oh god. Manon Re no not even gonna say her last name. She's Raheem. A, 
Yes. Yeah. Female I hockey her player. Yeah. She was the, you know, she played for the lightning. She Google hopped in. Me. Yep. She hopped in as a, you know, the first female goaltender to play in the NHL. Um, and she happened to play for the Tampa Bay lightning. So uh, I think that's it's awesome to see, to be honest, hockey yeah. being one of my favorite sports. I think that's very cool to see. One period versus the St. Louis Blues, seven saves, stealing another pickle. So thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> well, you said Sarah Thomas, so even though you didn't pick her, but I, I was going to pick her, so I had to come up with somebody else. <laughs> I mean, I didn't pick her. You could have picked her. Well, I didn't want to. I had to throw out a different name. <laughs> All right. My last is Rhonda Rousey. I don't know if I can cuss on this channel, but she's just a straight badass, so... <laughs> Obviously on my list, another male-dominated sport, but she's paved her way. Obviously, she can beat anyone up. So, no. <laughs> Who All just right. fought this weekend? What was her name? Um, oh, what was her name? Go ahead, Max. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. I'm trying to think now because a lot of my sneaky ones got picked. I was really hoping that last one for the Lightning wasn't going to get taken. Oh, I already man, like mentioned, I already mentioned Sarah Thomas. I don't want to like, and like we talked about Becky Hammond. So I don't want to just be, you know, yeah. a casual pick. Um, damn. <laughs> uh, I'll go with Simone Biles. I mean, like to be only 23 years old and you already have, you know, 30 Olympic medals and are seen as like one of the most dominant you know, just Olympic athletes in general of all time already at such a young age. Um, and I kind of think that she's representing so many young women in the world in general. Um, I think almost how Serena was when she was younger, a lot of women looked up to her. I think Biles is kind of one of those younger um, athletes that women are looking up more and more now. Um, so yeah, that's going to be my final pick. Do you, either of you have any honorable mentions that you want to throw out there that maybe didn't get picked? Oh, I put on my list Sheila Ford. She's the owner of the Detroit Lions. Um, I think that she's an old, sweet old lady. And she's <laughs> the owner. So great job. <laughs> I would say um, you typical Diana Taurasi, Megan Rapino, yep. have paved their way um, in, yeah. their, in their particular sports. Yeah. Uh, they've made a name for themselves. They're well known. Um, DT's been in the league for a very long time and continues to just dominate. Um, and then Megan Rapinoe, obviously, with what we spoke about prior uh, with the U.S. women's soccer, has also made a name for herself. Um, Mia Hamm as well. Yeah, I'm I had, had Mia Hamm, Abby Wambach, mm -hmm. um, Jackie Joyner Curse, like her. Yep. Um, and then as far as like, off the announcer list, I like Andrews. That was a good pick, Alyssa. Um, big <laughs> Doris Burke and Rachel Nichols fan. So they're both really good um, for the NBA. Um, I watch a lot of their stuff to help me with broadcasting and podcasting. So definitely like them. But I appreciate you both coming on with me and doing a women in sports segment. Um, so thank you both for coming on. And I know everyone's going to enjoy this episode. I'm sure we will talk again in the future, considering yes. we all work together. Correct. We'll see you this week. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, thanks for having us. It was fun.